Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I know that music. Hey. <laughs> hey. Welcome what? back to UAP. It's Stephen Diener right here. Karen Curtis over there. So happy to be back with you. We're back. Wow. How about that? It's been a while. How, how are you, Karen? How's everything been? Oh, everything's been awesome, I must say. Good. Yeah. Christmas, New Year, everything good. Yep. Your 2023 is good so far. So far, so good. All right. That's nice. It is. It, it has been a while, and I really do appreciate Everyone sticking with us. We got your messages on social media, on yes, Twitter, you. at UA Podcast 850, and asking, when are you guys going to be back? We're Come not on. going anywhere. No, no, we, no. We're it, still here. We're back in the saddle. We're, <laughs> yes. You know, we're back in the grind. We're back in rhythm. We That's know what's right. going on. I think it's weird that this is episode 61, and I turned 61 this month. Is that right? Yeah. Well, happy early birthday. Thank you. It's like fate. It is. And then when we do episode 62 next time, it's just going to be regular old episode 62. Yeah, but yeah. Don't, don't start piling on. <laughs> that's all right. I want to let everybody know, know too, uh, we, we got your messages, um, your personal stories. I appreciate all of those, and I will get to those at a later date. So I want to let you know that we have read those and... Uh, very fascinating. I always appreciate everyone who feels comfortable enough to share their stories with us. Oh, I know. I love it. A, you know, it's not an easy thing to do that. No. You know, you, and you look we for that validation. We don't think you're a crackpot. No, so not at all. Don't even go there. So we appreciate you there. Now, we are back here in the saddles in the UAP studios, <laughs> like you say, Karen. And uh, before we get into today's topic, which... For full disclosure, okay, I know the name of the episode is Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, but and we're going to get into that mystery that still persists today, eight years later, um, after that disappearance. But we're, there's some more heavy stuff that we're going to get into as well with other disappearances. But before, Which deals with MIA, Miami International. It sure does. They've not found the black box for Malaysia no, right now. No, they have not. Crazy. But before we get into all the mysteries here today, we do have the factoid. How about this factoid, Karen? Are you ready? Yes. There's a comet coming toward Earth. Is this the green one? I think it is a green one. Oh, it might be green. We're going to find out. I think it's an alien comet. For the first time in 10,000 years. And why is it green? Well, there's, you know, all the icy gases, yeah, yeah. particles and all that stuff. You never know what color it's going to turn. It's going to be most visible. So this comet hasn't been seen in 10,000 years. Okay. It's going to be most visible on February 2nd. So if you're listening to this episode after February 2nd and you missed it, I'm very sorry. <laughs> but I'm sure there's some sort of a cave drawing from sure. 10,000 years ago that depicts it so you can go back and see that. Yeah, you never know. It can be seen with uh, binoculars, but possibly with the naked eye. So, so you can look at the comet. You just yeah. can't look... At the sun? At an eclipse. Oh, okay. <laughs> or the sun. <laughs> or the sun. Bad idea. Now, Bad this idea. comet was discovered uh, less, about, like honestly, less than a year ago, and uh, it traveled billions of miles. They believed it originated at the edge of our solar system, and it's going to be visible during what will likely be its only recorded appearance. Oh, I think that someone recorded it 10,000 years ago in a cave painting, but <laughs> I'm positive of it. But comets never burn out. I, how is that they don't... They they keep going like Halley's comet. And yeah. They, 
How come they don't extinguish? Well, this is known as a long period comet, which Uh means it has like a huge um, orbit. And sometimes they think the orbit is so big that it may not even orbit. It may just keep going out into space. (laughs) By the way, the name of this comet is, get ready for this, okay? Oh, God. C slash 2022 E3 ZTF in parentheses. It was first seen. It should be WTF. In- <laughs> really, I know. It was first seen in March of 22. Wow. It made its way through Jupiter's orbit, and according to NASA, it's made up of big icy pieces of space debris that can get bigger than mountains. Okay, well that's why it doesn't run out of fuel. There you go. Okay. It's very, very big. And the tail is really coming out of the front of it, is what I've heard. Interesting. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Instead oh. of it's not trailing it. You study my comments I- a little bit more. <laughs> it's no- now it is known as the Long Period Comet because of the distance of its orbit, and some estimations have. Been traveling over 400 billion miles. Wow. One recent comet, j- just to kind of put this comet into uh, perspective, one recent comet of this type, which its name was C 2013 A1 Sighting Spring, oh. previously visited the inner solar system near, it went near Mars in 2014. According to the space agency, it won't return for about another 740,000 oh, years. I'll be dead. So will I. <laughs> oh my gosh. But here's the thing with the, our good friend C22E3ZTF. When it comes to our current uh, comet there, NASA administrators say if it does return, it won't be for at least another 50,000 years, if at all. Yeah. So be sure to look up yeah. on February 2nd. Otherwise, you're screwed. That's right. And get those binoculars out. Yeah. Now to the task at hand. Karen, are you ready? I am. On our previous show, which was about 35 years ago at this point, it feels like, (laughs) we did a deep dive into the Philadelphia experiments. That was in episode 60, if you missed it. If I do say so myself, it ended up being one of my personal favorites that that we've done so far. Oh, and it blew up on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Platform. It was a lot of fun. Lots of downloads. Everybody else enjoyed it as well, obviously, just, you know, from what we saw. So we appreciate that very much. But I'm also really excited to explore this next famous disappearance, even though I will say right off the bat, it was really tough to find any true speculation about possible alien involvement. I just want to throw that out there because I don't want you to hear this and be disappointed and be like, well, where are the aliens? It's, oh, it's, but, I, I have actual anecdotes that okay, good. will connect aliens to this. Good, because and that's what we're going to do. We're going to throw everything out at you, okay? All the possibilities. But it's still interesting to consider everything like that. And you'll be able to make your own conclusions in the end. So, now, say what you want about the Philadelphia experiment that we talked about last time, if it ever really happened. But there's no debating that this next one really did happen because today we are asking the question, what happened to the Malaysian Airlines flight I mean, massive airplanes just don't disappear. Well, I think they found one little bit of it, but that's ridiculous. That's what we're trying to find out. The Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 with 230 passengers and nine crew aboard. There is an official hypothesis about where it crashed, but nothing has been found. Finding the black box is vital to establishing the truth of one of the world's most mysterious air disasters. So let's go back, and like you said, Karen, that black box was never found, right? No. To this day. No. So let's go back to the date of uh, origination here, almost nine years ago, actually. Oh, my God. March 8th, 2014. I'm sure we all have some memory of this story. I mean, it was pretty big international news when it happened, and everybody's heard of it. And it's still a famous mystery today, which is why we're talking about it. It was a routine flight from Malaysia to Beijing. Okay, let's start from the beginning here. Uh, it was a clear night. 
The two pilots were both considered to be top-tier guys. They were highly respected. They were both searched by security before boarding the plane, as is protocol. And they took off. But I want you to remember that, okay, that they were both searched. Right? Nothing on them. They didn't have any bombs or anything like that on them. Were, okay? they, were they depressed? Well, were they we don't know that. Kamikaze? We don't know that for sure because that has always been one of the theories, yeah. right? As they took off and began their journey, everything was normal with no signs of any disturbances. They were just, you know, on their way to Beijing. That is until air traffic control noticed the first anomaly when the flight disappeared from their radar. Hmm. It was about 45 minutes into the five-hour trip when they noticed that, okay? Mm -hmm. Flight 370 was last seen over the South China Sea by air traffic control until they lost contact with it. But oddly enough... It was then picked up by military radar. Oh. Military radar followed the flight veering westward off its original flight path for close to an hour, but still with no contact before it disappeared altogether with all 227 passengers and 12 crew members aboard, never to be seen again. Just like that. They had sort of an erratic path. It did. Toward the end. But what happened since then? What happened since that day it disappeared? What are some theories pertaining to the disappearance of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, or as it's called, MH370? Let's first go with the practical before we venture into the fantastical, which we like to do here (laughs) very often. A few of the theories that investigators focused on, like the three main ones for just, again, for the practical investigation standpoint of things, okay? They focused on hijacking, hypoxia. That would be it, yeah. And intentional sabotage. They lost cabin pressure. Cabin pressure. So, that you know, that would happen with some type of crazy, you know, up or down sudden movement, right? If you're in a nosedive or something or like that. Or somebody opened a door. Right, exactly. Or a window broke. They hit a bird. I don't know if that, that high up over the ocean, if you hit a bird up there, maybe they hit a UFO. Well, maybe. Ah. Right? We don't know. Or was it some type of intentional sabotage by one or both of the pilots? So those are kind of like the three main things that, that people looked for, right? Yeah, I with think all this. they think one of the pilots might have passed out and then the other one did. I don't know. They have no idea. Well, let's explore some of these, shall okay, we? Yes. First, after some investigation into the plane's manifest, we'll start there. The hijacker theory wasn't really found to be a very plausible one because they didn't find anyone who was on any type of like terror watch list or anything like that. Okay. So we can put that one aside. Okay. Secondly, researchers and investigators suggested the pilots suffer from hypoxia caused by toxic fumes. Now get this. The toxic fumes would have come from burning lithium ion batteries. They were like value jet oxygen canisters. Yeah. I mean, I did a full rigor on the value jet crash. That thing, the oxygen canisters exploded right after takeoff from Miami International. Right. I remember that. And the, and the whole plane filled with smoke. Right. And it crashed into the Everglades to the west of MIA, and there's like nothing left. So that's one example of how something like that can happen. Yeah. So in this case, it would have been burning uh, lithium-ion batteries that would maybe spontaneously combust, or something would, yeah. would cause that type of, you know, internal explosion or fuming or whatever it might have been, right? They have those types of batteries on the plane? Well, that's the thing, because it would sound strange. Why would you have that on a passenger plane? But according to the cargo manifest, the flight did have a large (gasps) container filled with these highly flammable batteries. So that led investigators to suggest that they could have caught fire 
during the flight, releasing these toxic fumes, causing the pilots to then become low on oxygen and eventually crash somewhere in the southern Indian Ocean. That makes so much sense because they're saying Teslas and other EVs are exploding into flames in really cold weather. Just to kind of um, bring it to like a local, very local for us during Hurricane uh, Ian, when it came and hit the west coast of Florida, because we do the show here in South Florida, Karen and I, when Hurricane Ian hit the west coast, one of the big things was the obviously the flooding on the west coast of Florida and a lot of the electric vehicles like the Teslas and things like that. And then a lot of like caught fire because they ended up flooding and all those different yeah. things and the fire would burn really hot. It would never go out. Right. It was crazy. So, you know, it was a lot of it was a big headache for firefighters here in Florida to try to put those things up because of how hot those batteries burn. So if something and also like that cold happened on weather, I think it makes it do it too. It's, it's which weird. It would be cold up right. forty thousand. So maybe that's why some investigators pointed to that as being a, a possible thing here. And also when it comes to the hypoxia part, you know, being low on oxygen and getting right. you have that confusion, right? right. When you that get low on oxygen. While you're meandering. Yes, that could explain the erratic flying pattern, possibly. Now, lastly, the intentional pilot sabotage. This was a theory that at first wasn't considered because both pilots had families and were respected in their profession. So why would they intentionally crash this plane, right? Right. But here's where something gets strange. After some more digging, some investigators believe this could have been the case. In a weird, strange twist, it was found that one of the pilots received a phone call. Okay, follow me here because this is weird. They received a phone call on his personal cell phone 30 minutes before takeoff from a burner phone. What? I've never heard this before. Very strange. After after uh, plotting the last known course of the plane, it's been suggested that one of the pilots could have landed the plane in the ocean and let it sink to the bottom of a trench, which is why nothing has been found from it because there's this really deep trench. It's not the Mariana yeah. Trench, okay. but there's a deep trench that goes really far under the, the southern Indian Ocean. And they think maybe at some point, if this guy, he got some type of strange call, I don't know. And he decided in that moment that he's just going to crash this plane into the ocean and let it sink to the bottom of this trench. That's that's a theory. So take for it, you know, t- take what you will of it. But that's what some people say. I know they were looking for the pinging for days yes, until it would you know, right. finally burn out. But if you know it's a burner phone, can't they find out who bought it? Or who it belonged to? They never thus, found it. Thus, the burner phone. The yeah. investigators looked. They never found who wow. it belonged to. There was no trace or sign of the person that the pilot was talking to before the flight took off. Very strange. Now it so could be weird. A, could be a complete coincidence. Maybe the guy was. I, I don't want to speak. Ill, you know, ill of, of those who are you know dearly uh, forgotten and and, and Pat dearly de- dearly departed, not forgotten, but dearly departed. But this is just a theory of my own. Maybe the guy was talking to, you know, having an affair. I don't know. Did they call the number back? Nobody ever found any trace. (laughs) So, I don't know. Maybe this guy was talking to someone that he didn't want his family to know about and talking to, you know, having an affair with a person. I have no idea. And that's why he was talking on his own personal cell phone 30 minutes before takeoff. And he instructed the person to call from a burner phone. I'm just hypothesizing here. No idea. But that's you something that crash the plane. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, some people look at that and they think, well, that's kind of a strange plot yeah. twist. Why would he be taking a you know? That a is really weird. Phone? That's yeah. Now, also to be fair, I will all offer this detail. 
After exhaustive searching, there was some wreckage found washed ashore in the Western Indian Ocean back in 2015 and 2016 that could match up with the ocean patterns related to the proposed crash site. As far as you know, how the patterns of the ocean would move right. as time goes on, I think it, it was would like a wing or a tail fin or something. Yeah, it was like part of that, and they say. The piece that, and they've only really found like two pieces that they can say, yeah, this belonged to the plane. So they're still finding parts of the Challenger that exploded in 86. Yeah, that great point. So the question is, what do we make of it all? Do you side with the practical theories or could this famous and unsolved disappearance fall under a supernatural umbrella, mm. as some suggest, or even a government cover up? Oh, because some, some even suggest that the plane was shot down. You know, maybe by accident, you know, from like some sort of secret U.S. military base in the area. It was an accident, and then we cover it up. I don't know. I don't know. So someone called him on a burner phone to tell him that <laughs> they were on our radar? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Weird. But Weird. Some, some people even say that. And now, of course, there are the fantastical things, like wormholes. Of course. Right? Yeah. Time vortexes. Sure. A Bermuda Triangle type of effect here that maybe caused this plane to travel through space and time and get lost forever. Alien abduction. Why not? I mean, these are all theories. Or they hit a UFO. Right. In, in midair, who knows? I mean, there's never been wreckage found of that, but you never know. It's... I look, I will be the first to say that there is zero proof for even a trail of breadcrumbs that would suggest any of those theories are true. Yeah, but alien, remember from um, Roswell, the the guy that saw the wreckage said that mm-hmm. you could crumple it up and then it would go back It would come to back, shape. right, right. So I don't think you'd find alien wreckage because it would just hurt the plane. Maybe. I mean, to be fair. Broke the windshield and caused the cabin pressure to go and... Killed the pilots and boom, boom, boom. Look, it's as good a theory as, as any because nobody else knows what happened. They haven't no. found the black box. Like we said, they just have maybe found a couple of pieces of the plane, but that still doesn't tell us what happened to it, where it went, you know, and, and no one really knows what happened and to it. And they lost day. contact with the pilots, though, but they yes. were still on the radar. They were still on the radar, which is weird. Yeah. So, I mean, why did they lose contact? Was that intentional? Yeah. You know, did they turn off their comms? I don't know. Who's to say that one of these things... Couldn't have happened because no one really knows what happened to begin with. So as crazy as it sounds, maybe as silly as it sounds, I don't know. It's I think it's at least worth throwing out there the possibility of some type of supernatural occurrence here. Absolutely. Right. I, I mean, I don't know. Now, inter- interestingly enough, you're Karen. Some of those thoughts and theories actually connect to our next and final story. And I know you might say final story. Maybe you guys just started. Don't you have more? Well, I oh, want to no. spend some time on this. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> because, yeah, just just wait. There's a lot of meat left on this bone. There is. I know I shared a little teaser of this episode on Twitter. If you didn't see it, at UA Podcast 850. Uh... When we first started writing this, I put up a little teaser saying it's coming soon. And it showed that we were going to be covering the Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 like we just did. And I know what's in the title. It really was the complete focus of this episode. I had every intention of making it the story that we closed the show with until we came across this story. What if I told you that there was another flight that disappeared back in 1955, only to allegedly reappear 37 years later in 1992? Well, this is the story as we start off of Pan Am Flight 914 to Miami. 
On July 2nd, 1955, a plane took off from New York City carrying 57 passengers and four crew members destined for Florida. For a short while, the flight appeared to proceed normally until something bizarre occurred that changed the lives of everyone on board the plane. Without any communication or warning, Pan Am Flight 914 disappeared from the radar screens, and no one in the control tower back in New York could contact the plane's pilot or other personnel. It was as if the aircraft had never existed at all. So at first glance, this kind of seems like a cut and dry case of a plane gone missing, right? I mean, they don't know where it is. It just disappears. Similar to that of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 that we were just talking about. But according to the reports, the authorities searched for the missing plane for months before calling it off and assuming that it had just crashed into the ocean, even though there wasn't any sign of it to be found. I mean, they didn't find any wreckage, nothing. They just like, well, we can't find it, so it must be down there somewhere. They even did cash payouts to the families of those who lost their loved ones. Really? So, I mean, to them, this whole thing seemed settled. Right. That is, until one day, 37 years later, in 1992, when everything changed. And I I got to warn you, okay? <laughs> what you're going to hear right now is going to sound unbelievable. It's going to kind of, it might even make you shake your head and be like, come on, guys. But listen... This is UAP, after all, so you always make the call as you continue to hear the story here. On May 21st, 1992, air traffic controllers at the airport in Caracas, Venezuela, were settling in for another day on the job. Suddenly, they noted the presence of a strange aircraft entering the airspace, but it had not been picked up by the airport's radar system. We could see the plane with our eyes, but according to the radar, it wasn't there, explained one of the air traffic controllers. Another controller, Juan de la Corte, received a contact signal from the mystery plane. Where are we? What the hell is going on? The pilot of the airplane asked de la Corte. We are Pan-American Airways Flight 914 from New York to Miami with a crew of four and 57 passengers. This incredible announcement stunned the controllers in the tower. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Wait a minute. (laughs) A lot going on there. All of a sudden, there it is. We got this lost plane and it just reappears. So just to recap, all right, we have a flight with 61 souls on board. That includes the passengers and crew, 57 passengers, four crew which was thought to be lost for almost four decades, and then somehow randomly reappears in the skies over Venezuela, and we heard him say Caracas. We know it's Caracas, so we apologize for the mispronunciation there. Keep in mind now, this flight originated from New York and was heading toward Miami's as its final destination. That was the flight, New York to Miami. There's always right? a South Florida connection. There is. Isn't that the truth? My gosh. So, yeah, I would say Venezuela, though, in the end, was just slightly off course. Uh, yeah, by what, 1,800 miles? Just somewhere in there, kilometers. Kilometers, excuse whatever me. Whatever system you want to use. <laughs> Look at us, us uh, snobby Americans using miles. You can imagine <laughs> the confusion. Each pound. Uh-huh. Imperial system. You can imagine the confusion on both ends, though, of oh, the yeah. radio, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you have the pilot who's trying to understand where and when they were and how they how they got there. And then the air traffic controller, as they tried to comprehend how they were now suddenly communicating with a famous lost flight 37 years after it disappeared. I mean, at first they're like, this dumbass is lost. Right. Or someone's supposed to be in Miami. And then they find out we're from 1955. That's right. Now, I I will say this, too, before we go any further. Just to kind of I'm just going to put it out there because you're going to hear the phrase Bermuda Triangle a little bit more as we go forward, not only in this episode, but in future episodes. Think about the route you take 
going out of Miami to New York? Yes. According to my memory, anyway, you do go over the ocean. You do. They fly out. Well, it depends on the way the winds are flowing. Yes. But usually you're going to take off east. Right. Out over Miami and then out over Biscayne Bay and out over the Atlantic Ocean. So. And then head north. Just saying, yeah. at some point you're going over that area, yes, going New York to Miami. So I'm just going to just throwing that out there. I mean, now, otherwise you'll go west over the Everglades and then you'll go back out. Right, then come back around. Yeah. So I will fully admit this though, okay? <laughs> this does sound like an episode of The Twilight Zone, it which does. let me first, let me also say, I know I'm digressing a lot, but love The Twilight Zone. Rod Serling inspired me so much when it comes to writing. I think that man was a genius. Don't touch that dial. Oh my gosh. Or And he even reminds me of the show Manifest, which... Side note again, it's actually a pretty good show if you've ever seen it. I think it was on NBC, but now it's on Netflix, I think. Okay. I digress again, though. Is it possible that we could be looking at a real-life ghost plane type of scenario here, considering the plane didn't show up on radar, right? We heard that. They right. didn't see it on radar, but they're right. seeing it with their own eyes. Yes. Which is very confusing. Why is that happening, yeah. right? Well, the tower... In the midst of the confusion and spookiness, really, mm-hmm. try to impart some semblance of calm to the Pan Am pilot. <laughs> Air traffic controller De La Corte continued his back and forth with the pilot as the tensions continue to rise here. Are you Mayday? Are you in trouble? De La Corte asked the pilot, but there was no immediate response. Then the pilot said that he was scheduled to land at Miami International Airport at 9.55 a.m. on July 2, 1955. Then he told De La Corte that something wasn't right with the scenery in front of him. De La Corte broke the news to the pilot as carefully as he could. Captain, this is Caracas International Airport. The date is May 21st, 1992. The pilot cried out, Oh my God! And began breathing rapidly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So there is there is your, your big moment, right, where the pilot now hears the, the revelation. It's 1992. So obviously the situation is reaching a boiling point, and neither side truly knew what to expect next as the special ground crew was sent out to the runway to greet the plane as it started to make its arrival, right? I mean, they're going back and forth on the radio. They're, they're, they're kind of going crazy. But listen, you're arriving toward the airport, so now... The, the the authorities have been alerted as to what's going on here. And they see the plane. It's old as AF. And it's like, what is this? Yeah, exactly. Right. So the they're starting to approach the plane. And you like you said, I mean, they're shocked to see it match the type of passenger plane that would have been flying in 1955. In this case, it was a Douglas DC-4. Oh, my God. For any vintage aircraft enthusiasts out there. Yeah. Then, just as they came close, though, the crew and passengers became panicked. They could be heard screaming and, and, and just, you know, fear, terror, whatever you want to call it. Oh, in the background. In the background on the radio. I mean, they're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Why are oh. people screaming in terror? And the Surely. pilot could be heard screaming at them huh. to get away. Okay. And that they were going to leave. Oh, so he's... The pilot is telling the tower to get rid of the people coming towards get the Get rid of them, yeah, because they were bringing, like, you know, the authority security oh, air, sure. air uh, port crew to basically, they were going to board the plane. Right. To, to try to, you know, get everybody off, figure out what was going on. But they started to panic. And they said, no, you're, you're not coming on this plane. Get away now because we're going to leave again. And that's what they did. The Pan Am pilot turned the plane around right there on the tarmac and took off once again. And he had a lot of fuel on I guess. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, I guess you had enough to make it from New York to Miami, and all of a sudden you're over Venezuela. So I guess you had some stuff stored away. Yeah, wormhole. Uh-huh. Something happened. Wormhole technology allows you to save fuel, Karen. At this point, the Venezuelan Air Force actually tried to track the plane. But just like it did when it arrived, it never showed up on their radar. Well, they actually scrambled some planes they and did. couldn't find it. That's right. They lost sight of it. They, yeah. they, I mean, Venezuelan Air Force went yeah. looking for this thing, like and it was gone. went up, yeah. That's right. So That's three, three Air Force planes from Venezuela. There's no radar. Air Force planes are flying out there to look for it. And there's no sign of it visually or on radar. Right. Just gone. Again. Poof. Back in the wormhole. So how does this all end, right? I mean, is the plane just gone? Is that how the story ends? No. Oh. Believe it or not, it is said that the flight arrived at its original destination of Miami just three hours after it disappeared from from, uh, uh, Venezuela. Okay. Now, if you're wondering, we did do the math here. A normal flight. We did math. It's very scary. Please don't make me do math. It's a terrifying thought. It is. A normal flight time from Caracas, Venezuela to Miami takes about six and a half hours. And that's with today's technology. And that's it, yeah. With, right. with passenger airplanes. That's not in a DC-4. Right. Wow. A DC-4 that's 1955 vintage flying in 1992. Right. Made it to Miami in three hours, right? With enough fuel. There's all kinds of planes and pilots that say they get into the Bermuda Triangle and they end up Someplace completely different in just a matter of seconds or minutes. Correct. Right. Like hundreds of miles away. So what happened when they came to Miami, right? Yeah. As they arrived, they were greeted by Miami International Airport staff and security. And, well, here's how that went. The security and staff at the Miami airport were stunned. How did this plane arrive here in this condition? Where had it been for 37 years? After deplaning, the pilot, co-pilot, crew, and passengers were interrogated by security officials for hours. There were so many questions that had no answers or that couldn't be answered. One of the creepiest aspects was not just that these people had left New York 37 years ago, but that not one of them had aged a day since they left. Officials wondered how the plane managed to operate for so long. But if the aircraft had time-traveled somehow, what had only been a few hours for the crew and passengers had been 37 years in our timeline. It could happen. There you go. So there, and that's, I guess they just lived happily ever after in Miami, but so many questions, right? Wasn't that right when cell phones started coming out and stuff? So they didn't miss that. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) They didn't miss much. It's after 95 when everything goes off exponentially. Yeah, that's true. So let's let's think about the repercussions here, right? As we consider the possibilities and the scenarios. Number one, you have a plane that, okay, let's state the obvious, takes off 1955, reappears 1992, disappears again as it leaves Venezuela, makes it to Miami. So... You heard it there. I mean, the Miami officials were even like, how did you make it here? How do you have enough fuel to do all this? Is this some type of, and how are they the same age, right? And if that's the case, if this if this happened, then at that point, you're talking about, you're seeing like family members. Like if you had a five-year-old in New York when you left, and all of a sudden your five-year-old is 42 years old, maybe you're the same age at this point. How weird is that? Oh, wow. Right? I mean, see... <laughs> The repercussions of this would be unbelievable. They were probably all smoking on the plane. Yeah, right. You're not allowed to do that. And really big, wide seats. <laughs> the luxury, oh, that's yeah. right. They're not all anymore. dressed up. But so, I mean, it, for this to exist, for this to have happened, this is obviously 
a some type of time travel yeah. through a wormhole, whether that was through the uh, Bermuda Triangle or some other means. Other, what other means are we talking about? Some type of alien intervention here. Was there some type of UFO that they weren't aware of in 1955? An alternate universe? Maybe. A time warp? Right. Who knows? Like, yeah, like a time warp from the UFO itself that yeah. maybe would have caused... The, the plane to travel through time and space. I mean, think about this. I know it sounds insane, but we, you know, we try to, to, to connect the dots here at some point. Or the story just isn't true, but you make up your own mind, right? But think about the World War II pilots who saw what were called Foo Fighters. Yes. Before the music group came to be with Dave Grohl, they would see the, you know, the, the, the shining lights in the sky. This isn't the first time we hear about all the time. You know, Air Force pilots, Navy pilots, the USS Nimitz in 2004. We have the video of them with the Tic Tac UFO. So it wouldn't be the first time. They're backing off on that now. Yeah, I know. There's video evidence of it. It's so funny. who would make this up? It's so fantastical and it's so interesting. It is. There's a lot of layers and details to it. Yes, lots of layers and details. It doesn't seem like something that would just come from someone's imagination. I mean, maybe this was some type of time travel caused by... You know, alien interference. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe the alien interference with this plane wasn't supposed to happen. Maybe they were aliens. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> you want to throw the one out there? Sure. We'll just throw it up and see what sticks. I don't know, though. In all seriousness, if we are to believe this story, one of these things has to be true. It would either be some type of vortex that they inadvertently, you know, flew through that popped up, or it's an alien intervention that came at this plane, like would happen with World War II fighters, that happened with, you know, the fighters off of the Nimitz, and made this plane travel through time and space to show up in 1992. Well, I think it's completely possible, and I have actual relatives who've experienced something like that in this airspace. Yeah, I find this interesting. So what, what is the story you have here? So my father-in-law, well, former... Yes. X. Um, Larry Phillips, he flew Hi, for Larry. Pan Am. He's, yeah. He flew the European flight out of Miami oh. to England and Germany. And oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. And he did it for years. And he told me, literally told me face to face, that one time he flew, he took off from MIA. He was the pilot, he had a co pilot. And right off his port side, mm-hmm. <laughs> right below a, a a ship came up suddenly really in front of the cockpit window off to his left wow and it it was actually traveling alongside the aircraft and then it took off at like lightning speed really but he saw it was a it was a ufo wow how about that yeah did you see how big it was it wasn't or very the shape big or anything, it wasn't or? as big as his his plane so this would have been more like an orb yeah type an of orb ufo type thing but it did it so just, like the foo fighters yeah, back in world war 2 popped II. up Huh. And so the tower saw it, radar saw it, Larry saw it. Is that right? The co-pilot saw it, and nobody said anything about it. Mm. Nobody, you Like know, you would, yeah, you kept those things quiet. No, you didn't yeah. talk about it. Then I have a, a friend who flies fixed-wing small, like okay. single engine, and he was flying over Lake Okeechobee. He flies over Lake Okeechobee a lot, and he says he saw some sort of a UAP fly up out of the lake, hmm. straight up. Really? In Out front of, like of his Kijobi. aircraft. Yeah. Huh. And then took off at a very fast speed. That's it, intriguing. So it came up vertically out of the water, and then it took off. Because we've talked about USOs before on you know unidentified submerged objects. Yes. 
So that would be quite intriguing to know that there is USOs, you know, these UFOs, UAPs in our own backyard here in South Florida when it comes to Lake Okeechobee. These people That's wild. Are, I've never heard anything like yeah, that. Yeah, they're completely credible to me. Um, yeah, these are personal stories. And then when his granddaughter was born, Katrina, my daughter, mm-hmm. she was born at 747. Oh, really? And that's what he used to fly. Look at you. Yeah. I was like, look at that. How about these coincidences? It's so weird. Karen? That's what happens, though. Like, things get, I yeah. don't know, validated. Well, I've, gosh, how, much, how many times have we talked about validation with all the different stories that we've I covered know. throughout the series of the show? But now, just to, to kind of bring it back around here, because we always give both sides of the story. Now, the story here when it comes to Flight 914, this Pan Am flight, some people do consider this to be a hoax because they look at, it appeared in a, new, in a publication called World Weekly News. It was the only paper with the story. Now, does that mean it wasn't true? No, it just means that it was the only paper with the story, maybe because other publications found it to be way too weird to cover. There was only one paper with the story about Roswell. There you go. Then De La Corte possibly was also made up. No, there were two photos of him. Right, they were kind of different. So the photos were different. So yeah. people are saying, "Well, did they use a the wrong photo in one of the in one of the stories, or was this a made up guy and they just didn't keep with it?" They found some inconsistencies because there were three different versions of this story in the Weekly World News. This this publication that printed in 1992. So they thought, "Well, if there's three different versions, no, but that's common too." You know, I mean, that could be right because I mean, look, you, you've worked in news for a long time, and yeah. you know that sometimes you reprint things or you have to correct some things. So, or there's different accounts. Right, exactly. So that could be a way to explain that one. But because of all those things, people say all that adds up and they just say that they can't believe it and they think it's a hoax because of some, some of those inconsistencies and it was only in the one publication. Now, it's possible that De La Corte did exist and he made it all up. Maybe. Who knows? Well, that's why we tell you the story, because it's up to you to decide. But I think it's quite fantastical it for is. some sort of reporter to either make it up or this guy. Yeah, that's true. You know? I mean, it's one of the crazier stories I've heard, which is why I've shifted gears when we were making this. Yeah, and like and we said, it was it. all going to be about Malaysian Air Flight, Airlines flight. But then we're like, we got to add this. This is just insane. <laughs> yeah, so, it is insane. One of the more wild stories I've heard. So hopefully you enjoyed that. And... I will say this as we tease uh, for next time on episode 62. We're going to do a part three of Mysterious Disappearances because we mentioned the, the Bermuda Triangle a couple of times as a possibility when it came to this specific one of Pan Am Flight 914. Not so much with Malaysia because that's, you know, the side of the world. But is it possible that not only the, the uh, Bermuda Triangle, which we all know, I mean, it's a famous case when it comes to disappearances of aircraft and ships on the, on the sea, but what about... The Alaskan Triangle. What? Did we know that there's actually an Alaskan Triangle as well? We're going to connect the two in our final part series of Mysterious Disappearances. That's part three that we're going to do next time on UAP episode 62. We're going to learn about something also known as Flight 19. Very interesting. So we're going to put it all together here as we go on to our next episode next time on UAP. When are we getting into Red Mercury? Oh, that's it's the very secret, Karen. Okay, very top secret. secret. Don't bring that up. Top secret future plans there for, for UAP. Get so ready. Don't worry. We have much more to come. I know some of you were worried over that long hiatus no, we we're took. Back. That, you know, we, were, we weren't going to do this anymore. Trust me, we're back. And we have so much oh. to get to. We're not going anywhere anytime no. soon. So be assured of that. Or maybe that makes you sad. I don't know. <laughs> but we're they happy to do it with they you. They love us. And I have my own personal UAP story. Oh, go ahead. 
Yes. No, no, no. We're going to do it next time. Oh, okay. So a lot to get to in the future. You do? You saw I do. something? I did. What? You didn't oh, tell me. I know. It's a secret. Oh, my gosh. A lot to get to next time on UAP. Wow, you buried the lead at the very <laughs> we're, end. We're going to keep it there. It's Stephen Diener right here. It's Karen Curtis there. Be sure to follow us. Twitter, UA, at UAPodcast850. Make sure to keep downloading and subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts and Apple and Spotify, Amazon, all that good stuff. And of course, 850WFTL.com. You can find it there. But until next time, hope you keep enjoying all the episodes. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.